Last night, I called my daughter into the living room to hear, to watch on TV, the, what I thought would be the end of this Taylor Swift song. I didn't realize that it was a 10-minute song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And she says she quotes from Shakespeare. Uh, she wrote it, but she, she's quoting from Shakespeare. And she says, they say that all's well that ends well, but I'm in a new hell. And to this morning, I want to talk to us about endings because we don't do them well. In fact, just the name alone, like dead end or detour, uh, it has negative connotations. It can bring so much pain, but I really think there's a, a better way. I think there's a, a way that we can end that would give us life and glory to God and that would be good deep down in our souls. So there's a question that uh, we all face, all of us, uh, at turns in life. And the question is, they made a song about it, the crash in the 80s, should I stay or should I go. Now this morning, you live your life, you be you, you know, Panera Bread says live your yes. Everybody's trying to have a cool commercial slogan, like just go to Panera Bread. They don't, they don't have to tell you to live your yes. But anyway, uh, look, you have to figure out your life. You have to seek wisdom of what is next for you. But all of us, what's universal for us is that we all want to know this question at times, do we stay or do we go? Uh, you could be in a spot that's in the middle. Uh, there's a a spot that's in architecture, interior design, and uh, psychology. It's called, it's this word, in fact, it's called liminal. The word liminal. Have you ever heard this word? It means it's, it's actually Latin for the word threshold. In other words, you're, you're leaving a room, but you're not in the room that you're going to next, but you're in this space. Uh, it's an in-between. It's the, you know, no longer, but it's the not yet. Maybe you've said goodbye, or you're about to say goodbye, or they don't know it yet. Your boss or that relationship you're entwined in, you're about to say goodbye. You have, in essence, externally or internally, you've said no longer. You're, you're not going to stay. You're going to go, but they don't know it yet. You don't fully know it, but you're in this liminal space. You're living in l l liminity. Yeah, you got to practice that one. But you're living in liminity, and that, that could be angst to that. There could be dread that's very deep, but there could be excitement. How many of you like change? You like to go and you like new things. That's kind of natural. You don't look before you leap. Anybody that way? Anybody would raise, raise your hand just to feel sympathetic to me because I'm that way and she knows I'm that way and she has to live with this. And we celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary this week. How cool is that? So she's been living with this for a long, long time, but I naturally like to go. So I have put her through stuff in these 25 years that she just loves and appreciates to the core. Should I stay or should I go? Maybe you're the opposite of going where you, you just, you, you, you don't, you're not going to get in a liminal space. You're not going to go anywhere until you've said goodbye, until you know exactly where to go. Should you stay or should you go? In Genesis, early in the best-selling book of all time, there's this phrase in the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We'll put it up here. It says this, leave, Abraham was to leave his father's household. Uh, some renderings say, uh, Abraham, leave. There was a voice. He heard a voice. Hey, leave your place, leave your country, leave your father's household. Now, that's kind of a big thing because in the ancient Near East, when someone left, first of all, they didn't do that. They didn't leave. But when you did go, if you did decide not to stay and to go, you were leaving. It involved family and authority and economics and worldview. And if you were monotheistic God, if polytheistic God's but it said that he was to leave his father's household. Big deal. And that's Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. I love what the Bible leaves out. So good. It makes us 
lean in closer. But Genesis 12, 4, there's a phrase that says this about it. Just, it's so small, but don't miss it because it's massive. It says, then Abraham went. He heard a voice and then he went. But he did not know where he was to go, but he went. They didn't do that back then because to, if you go, you were no longer settled. It was a lack of of settledness. Anybody got that feeling? You've taken a step and you're not sure and there's just this lack of settledness and you don't know. And again, I love it about the story of the Bible. Abraham, this voice from God, go, but where am I to go? And God attacks a few, attaches, sorry, a few promises to it, but so much of it, he doesn't know, which is how God tends to work for everybody, let me say. Another story, much later than Genesis, it's the life of Ruth. And Ruth loses her husband. It's uh, difficult to be a widow. No one would probably want to sign up for that. But back then, in ancient patriarchal society, with the economy structured the way it was, uh, it was even harder. And Ruth looks to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi had announced that she's going to be going back to her land. She's not going to stay. She's going to go. And you know what Ruth uh, said to Naomi? She said, you know this, here's another phrase from the early part of the Bible. Uh, from the Old Testament, says this, where you go, I'll go. She said other things, but let's just take that phrase. I'm not going to stay. You're not staying. I'm not staying. Ever done that? Hey, you're not staying. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. You're leaving. I'm leaving. Where you go, I'll go. I will be with you. Why, Ruth? Why would you go with Naomi? Okay, there's that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to go to that land, you would be a stranger. You would be a foreigner. You wouldn't have rights and privileges and responsibilities. Uh, who would protect you? Who would really, really care for you to go to this strange and foreign land? This morning, should, should you stay or should you go? If you've in the liminal space and the angst of that, maybe the excitement of that, it's not a place that you can probably live for long. So what I want to do is expand it a little bit to where we really mostly are to what really, really matters, because it's not uh, just this simple. So the question about stay is this. Before you go, or before you say God has called me to go, think about the differential that this might mean. Because there's two kinds of stays that I want to talk to you about today. There's the stay steady, and there's the stay stuck. And a word about steady uh, hopefully a good word about steady, but scripture says in this place, and I love this, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul's talking about the resurrection. And you know how Christians argue over things like social issues and we cancel people if they don't believe like we believe. And, you know, I, I just don't know where Paul and Jesus would be, but Paul says, hey, here's the thing that really matters. I mean, I, a lot of things matter, don't get me wrong, but he says, hey, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Because if Jesus, the only man in history, predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off, I'm with him. And if that didn't happen, we are to be pitied among all men, and our preaching is in vain. So it's the resurrection, just giving you some context. But in that, he says, because Jesus rose from the dead, not because you're awesome, not because you came to church today during a monsoon, not because you're, you know, strikingly beautiful or you're going to get a 4.0 this semester. None of those reasons, none of those reasons, it's because you've been given the victory through Jesus Christ. And therefore, he says, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love this language. Anybody follow? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Can I just say, because there's something called the grass is greener syndrome. There's something called wanderlust. There's, a, there's songs, Johnny Cash, I'm the running kind. Willie Nelson, on the road again. Back in the, from the 60s, I'm a wanderer. 
I like to get around. Probably a song more about promiscuity, so I shouldn't have mentioned it in church. But anyway, the guy likes to travel from place to place, roaming from town to town uh, to uh, chase the ladies and uh, his thrills. But there is a, there's a something in us, and here's the trick. Marketers, there are marketers, marketing strategies that these women, these men get paid a lot of money to make you feel worse about your home to make you feel homely, to show you the, the, the exotic nature of the world in which you're living. And what, what, what marketing does, it, it, they, they tempt you to buy here, buy this, travel here, try this. And the idea there is they're not wanting you to stay with anything in your life. They're wanting you to buy the happiness. And oftentimes it's go and be an adventurer. So there's this reality of wanderlust, the grass is greener. They're inciting uh, instability in you. And can I just say, steadiness is a gift from God. Steadiness is what we need in this world. What a wonderful thing. Should you stay or should you go? I I don't know. Come see me and we'll have coffee and talk about your your situation. I'll give you some probably human advice. Uh, Take it or leave it. But there's a beauty in staying. Um, I mentioned this in the 930 service. I'm turning my back to you real quick. But there's a a book that I've just uh, gotten into. It's called The Power of Place. So before we talk about how you need to change and you need to grow and you need to move and you need to end something. I just want to encourage you. By the way, anybody in their 20s, can I recommend this book to you to read it? To read this book because, you know, we always want something new and shiny and other. And we think the new and the shiny, that's why I need to go. I just need to go. I'm restless and I'm discontent. If you're restless and discontent, you're probably going to be that when you get to that place. And it may be cotton candy, it may taste good for a moment, but you're going to take you with you and that character, which is really you, your soul, which is really you, satisfied or dissatisfied, you're going to take that with you. So this book talks about the power of place, and in it, the pastor from Colorado, Daniel Grothy, says that there's something to be found when you're steady and when you stay. Because you know what gets better when you're steady, when you stay? Friendship, community, and purpose grows. You can stay right where you are. I'm going to talk to you about ending some stuff, but you can stay right where you are and you can be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding. I know some folks, their story is they're, they're not abounding. Now, they're in their 20s, so they're probably not going to abound yet. But they're not abounding in their lives because of a lack of stability. So there is a word to be said for steady. And what you can't get from a pastor and a sociologist, you ought to be able to get from a country song. I heard a song a couple of weeks ago for the first time. She can tell you this, but I don't need to know the words to sing a song. When it comes on, I just turn it up and I I do my best. And anybody heard the song by Jordan Davis called By Dirt? You heard this? And I'm like, why am I singing By Dirt at the top of my lungs? And then I just printed the lyrics I'll share with you. By Dirt, a few days before, this is a quintessential country song. A few days before he turned 80, he was sitting out back in a rocker. He said, what have you been up to lately? I told him, chasing a dollar. And in between sips of coffee, he poured, this, see did he poured this wisdom out. He said, if you want my two cents on making a dollar count, buy dirt. Find the one you can't live without. Get a ring, let your knee hit the ground. Do what you love and call it work and throw a little money at the plate at church. By the way, that not, that's not the way to do it. It's to systematically, sacrificially give. <laughs> if you travel, then you do that online, etc. Send your prayers up and your roots down deep. Add a few limbs to the family tree and watch their pencil marks and the grass and the yard all grow up. Because the truth about it is, it all goes by real quick. You can't buy happiness, but you can buy dirt. Before you get caught on that ladder, let me tell you what it's all about. Find a few things that matter that you can put a fence around. And then he laid it out by dirt. 
there's something to be said for being steady. But here's the trick. Many of us are staying because we're stuck. We're staying because we're afraid to end something that needs to end. And you cannot embrace the new day without saying goodbye to something now. You can't rise to new tomorrows without saying adios amigos to someone or something that's not good in your life. And it's easy to be stuck. Now we all, going back between these two, we all have an internal battle with boredom. We all want our lives to flourish and we want our lives to be fruitful. Everybody has that relationship. Am I seen? Do I matter? Is my life contributing? Um, I know a few folks, they really good paychecks, but they want to make a difference, an impact in their lives. So we all have that, that battle. But the stuckness is this reality of, I'm going to embrace boredom because it's what I know. It's safe. It's familiar to me. There's this passage, by the way, not everybody should go. There's this passage in Luke 8, a story where Jesus heals a demonic man. And this guy's got, if you read Luke 8, 26 to 39, he's got everything in the world uh, going wrong with him. If you're in a bad situation, you've got several areas that are hurting you now. You're not as bad off as this guy. I just, I just know it. And he had nobody in his life. And look what Jesus said to him. He healed him. He brought life to him. And he said, go back to your home. In other words, be steady. And I want you to stay right where you are you don't need to go to end in fact i've ended some pain in your life this infirmity i have brought healing to it and scripture talks to us for people who are stuck it talks to us to people who need to go to the next place it says to us that god values new do you everybody it's what the ninth day of this year 2022 so in essence all of us are embracing some newness in our lives. In scripture in Ezekiel chapter 36, it talks about a new spirit and a new heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about a new mind. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it says that we walk in newness of life. We just quoted that from the baptistry. And so be baptized if you haven't. But all of us in Jesus are to walk in this newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Don't be stuck. If you are in Christ, if you believe that He's forgiven you for your sins and you're walking with Him and have fellowship with Him. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Celebrate. Jesus talked to people who were stuck, who needed to go to another place, whether it's geographical or relationally or vocationally or whatever. And he talked to them in a parable form. And he said, there's old wineskin and there's new wineskin. And he said, your religion is holding you back. You're not embracing your new tomorrow because you are stuck. Go back to the first slide. Sorry that I've been uh, displaced at this hour of Ecclesiastes 3. The rest of this, I want you to think about this passage from the wisdom literature of the Bible. There's, there's a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plan and a time, a time to plant with a T and to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time of peace. What time is it? What season? You don't have to go to seminary to learn this. If you read that and you're teaching a a group anywhere, uh, you would need to look at them and say, embrace the seasons and cycles of life. 
I'm saying that to you. And have you noticed, we had a very philosophical discussion in our marriage not too long ago uh, as we celebrate 25, about to celebrate 25 and think about the next season for us. And you listen, y'all, it is inevitable. Change is inevitable. And to embrace each season and what's it, what it brings. It's why I'm looking at the young folks, and I did the, the first hour to tell you to read this book about having a sense of place because the questions you ask and your concerns uh, when you're young are different than when you're, you know, not so young, shall we say. But understand the seasons and the cycles of life. Let me ask you, what needs to be new? What time is it for you? What might God be saying in you? Take a look at a nearby dueling hall. These are pictures uh, taken recently. This is where Fondren Church, a little over 10 years ago, uh, got started. For those who don't know, we started in a bar. How cool was that? Like we started our church in a bar. And what happens when you start a church in a bar? You smell, you smell beer on Sunday, which is kind of cool. I guess that's give or take, you know, pro or con. But you smell beer, but you got a vibe. Like if you start a church in a bar, you've got a vibe to you. And we knew that we were limited in Dueling Hall for space and everything. And we knew that this church... Uh, the people here, the, though they had a rich history, they probably were on the time clock. And we felt like there was going to be a relationship that could be had that would be mutually beneficial between Fondren Church and Woodland Hills Baptist Church. And this was the old stage there. Uh, but back up, if you will, we actually paid uh, for the lights. So those of you who have been around from the beginning, that was our first big expense. It cost several thousand dollars to light up the wall. We're like, ooh, we just felt kind of dirty that we were spending a few thousand bucks to light up a wall. And uh, we were lean and mean back then. But uh, that was dueling hall, but we knew our time. We knew that something was coming to an end. We shouldn't stay. We knew God was calling us to go. But if you've ever led a group of people, you'll know that some people are like, let's go. And some people are like, I like my vibe in this place. I like the bar. Like, this is, this is who we are. I'm like, we're a bar? That's who we are? And so I'd, I had to lead us, and we had, we had a team. It's never, I mean, I, I believe in a primary leader, but I believe wholeheartedly in a plurality of leadership and and our church leader said this is next for us but look at look at what was next back in 2014 that was anybody know where that picture is taken if you were to walk to that door and take about a three-foot step uh that's the picture there and back in 2014 it um looked and smelled and felt like a funeral home which is where you know there's death and i remember thinking though there was some excitement i remember thinking we're gonna move and die over here but God was saying go and look to to embrace what is new despite the obstacles you have to say goodbye so it could be the vibe it could be what you knew and what you liked and what was familiar what was comfortable but in order to embrace the new we have to say goodbye to the old I love John 15 there's probably not a two or three month stretch that goes by if I'm regularly teaching from here that I don't slip in a little John 15. And Jesus said, religious people really need to hear this, but he said, I'm teaching you all these things so that you would have joy. John 15 is about joy. Not, I mean, it's unmistakable joy that is complete, Jesus says, joy that is full, joy that remains. It's different than transient happiness. It's, 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 it's steady. No matter where you go, there's this joy that you can have in Jesus. He talks about abiding because that's the key. We think the key is achieving. And I want y'all to achieve. I want everybody to, in fact, leave here today and go achieve. Maybe not Sunday if it's your Sabbath, but like go achieve. That's a good thing. But the gospel, the good news is you don't have to achieve. You have to receive. And, and Jesus says abide. 
a lot of our melancholy and depression is because we're staring at our screens and we're clicking on links and it's leading us into dark and depressing places that are uh, controversial, that are confrontational, that don't bring life, that take God's good gifts of love and sex and relationships and vocation and calling and beauty and it distorts them. And we just, we, we go down that tunnel and some of us are spending hours a day uh, in that pit. And Jesus says, abide. Abide in me. Come to church every Sunday. If you miss, watch or listen online and be a part of a group. But you need to abide in Jesus. You need his words to, to drink in his words and to bathe in his words for cleansing and sanctification. Look, that's kind of a religious word, sanctification. It just means you're being made right. It means all the things that Jesus says about you, you're seeing them become true progressively um, in your life. He's bringing newness, so abide. But there's this word that I want to hone in on because we're talking about endings. It's this word pruning. And Jesus says there's going to be, have to, there's going to be some things that need to be cut out of your life. So cut it out. That sounds too authoritative, doesn't it? Jesus says, I'll cut it out. But you partner with me and you, you cut some things out of your life. And that means cutting always involves scissors or a knife. It, it involves surgery. It involves bleeding. It involves pain, pain where you might cry out. But if you're willing to have joy, you want it, and you're willing to abide, you'll need to do some pruning and allow God to do some pruning. So what does, let's show a rose bush. And picture this isolated rose bush in a big, expansive garden, maybe like at the Masters Tournament in Augusta or a Disney World in Orlando. And it's just one rose bush after another. What does a gardener prune? Well, let me tell you and make this analogous to your life. He prunes, a gardener, he or she, I'm sorry, he or she prunes uh, branches or buds that are dead. Dead branches, they say, I'm not a gardener, but dead branches, I, I can study about it. Dead uh, branches don't just make it unsightly, but they actually make it harder for the live branches and buds to grow. The, what is alive has to work around what is dead. They have to bend and in their bentness, they could go crooked. So it, was, it won't be as lush and beautiful if you leave the dead in there. Another thing that gardeners cut out of rose bushes, plants, when it's not growing well, they cut out the dead, but they also cut out the unhealthy. Let's call it the sick or diseased. So a good gardener will monitor. And in the monitoring, they will water and they will fertilize. But at some point, they will realize that this thing's not going to make it. This is sick and diseased and dying, and it doesn't need to be in here, and they prune it out. Not only does a gardener prune what is dead and what is unhealthy, but also just what is growing but not that good. You see, this word gets a little subtle, so stay with me, because plants, or whatever it is, human beings, life produces life. Now, I'm not talking about so much procreation biologically, but life produces life. And so the, the, the rosebud... The beautiful garden, there, you know, the, disease, the, the dead and the disease cut out, what's not bringing life, what's hurting the flourishing. But there, there's only so many nutrients. There's only so much life that a plant can sustain. And so they cut out some, um, some that could be considered good. That's not dead, that's not necessarily dying, but a plant can only give so much life, so it can only have so much. Let me ask you, what needs to be pruned in your life? What needs to end? What needs to be cut out. Let me suggest it could be several categories. First is people. The first is people. Does that sound too harsh? 
The first is people, and here's the thing. We have friendships, and some of us try to maintain too many friendships. And can I say that for every yes you say to somebody, you're saying no to somebody else. How many people should be in your life? Who should be in your life? And with that, there are invitations and there are opportunities at every turn. We need to end some relationships. I don't know who needs to hear it, but somebody, some of y'all need to end relationships. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to shun. There's a time when a, a relationship needs to be cut out of your life. It's choking you off. We also need um, to cut off um, activities. So many so many activities, so many things that we can be involved in. And if you have a family, it's not just your activities, it's your spouse's activities. Have you ever seen those clash? And it's your children's activities. And we live in a, a part of the city, I believe, where uh, children are more than just children, they're idols, and we follow them around. I remember years ago, I was driving to preach at a, another church, I just didn't tell y'all. And I was driving to preach at this other church, and I, I, no, I drove by these ball fields, there were four ball fields, and all of them were full on a Sunday morning about eight o'clock. And I remember thinking, man, we're so filled up that the only time we could find for these type of activities on a Sunday morning when we could be enjoying a Sabbath and worshiping with God's family. I love your family. You love your family. I love that you love your family, but be a part of God's family. Be a part of a bigger family. You know what your family needs? To be a part of God's family. And we need to cut, some of us need to cut activities. Ownership is a big thing. Um, you can get a boat, you can get a cabin, you can get a membership, you can get a machine, you can get a toy, you can get season tickets. I remember years ago, it stuck with me. A friend of mine told me about his boat story. A lot of people have boat stories. And he said, man, I got this boat and then I realized I have to gas it and winterize it and maintain it and pay for it and insure it and store it and stand in line at the DMV to renew it. It is wearing me out. Some things ought to be pruned from your life. Work is another area that can be pruned from life. Look, you have to work. Most of us do have to work. Most of us have to hustle. I'm all for that. But what's being lost in the middle of that? I'm going to be uh, meeting with our staff individually, all of them over the next couple of weeks. I've sent them eight questions. And one of the questions I'm going to ask them it has to do with you know, their calling and their job and what they, do they feel resourced and what excites them, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the questions that I want to listen to everyone look at me in the eyes and tell me their story, I'm asking them, do you take a Sabbath? If you do, what are the benefits? And if you don't, why not? Because we need rest. And sometimes it's just too much. And look, work and work hard. And we've got a great team here that loves and serves people. But take a rest. And I want to shift that sense of responsibility to all our staff. And I want you to, if you're still listening to me this morning, man, take a time for rest. I'm a sports guy. I love it. Um, I don't know if you saw this this week. Take a look and listen to Dan Patrick. He talks about uh, an ending in our lives. And different than Antonio Brown, I think this is a good ending. So my kids were, you know, 9 through 15, four kids. And I was going to re-sign at ESPN. I was going to sign a new five-year deal. And I remember that morning, my wife said, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, hell yeah. And then she said, they're, they're going to all be out of the house. They're, they're going to be all out of the house when you're done with this. And I'm not even thinking that. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to pay me this. Yeah, I got to do X number of shows. I got to do this. And uh, I went up that morning. And I, it took me 55 minutes to drive to ESPN. 
And I remember going in and I went upstairs and my boss said, so uh, what are you going to do? Take it or leave it. And I pawned. And I said, I'm, I'm going to leave it. Mm. And he didn't hear me. He just said, all right, well, you know what? I'll have Danielle get the contract for you. And I, I said, no, I'm, I'm going to leave. He goes, you're going to leave? I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. And I remember walking outside, clear blue sky, I mean, a beautiful day. And I called my, my wife and I said, hon, I'm, I'm coming home. She goes, okay. And I said, no, I, I'm coming home. I'm, I'm going to quit ESPN. She goes, if we have to sell the house, we'll sell the house. Mm-hmm. That's when it hit me of she had perspective. I had none. You know, I'm, I'm on TV. I'm making great money. Mm-hmm. She's raising the kid. Like, you know, I was just, I was so blind to it. And thank God I came home. I was doing the radio show up in my attic. For three, three years, we're in the attic. I'd have the Danettes come in and we'd go up to the attic. And my wife loved it. You would think, you know, that coming in the house, seven in the morning, Danettes going through the back, up the steps. You know, she's in her bathrobe, you know, yelling at kids, getting them out of the house. It, it was, it was unbelievable. And it, and I have three daughters and it was so important to be around them because they were, you know, nine, uh, 11 and 12, you know, they needed, they needed me there. I didn't know how much. And even my son, who was 15, uh, best decision I ever made. Just, I didn't say this the first service, but I just, you know, when a man's about to cry, but he stops and that's what was happening there. Something about the him and that son that are 15. But hey, what needs to be pruned? There's something, there's a concept that we miss a lot. And uh, one writer calls it, uh, he calls it this. He calls it incompatible wishes. And we all live with incompatible wishes. Um, we, we live like, for example, I want to invest my money, but I want to buy that new car. I, I, I want to eat those brownies, but I want to fit in those jeans. I want to take my company to another level and build of the team, but I want to I be home with my kids. I, I want to I work hard, and, and, uh, but I don't want to, you know, I want to I I I hang out with my buddies, but I need to cultivate my marriage. And these are often just incompatible wishes. And can I say, I want to invite you to have the courage, because the scripture says, I'm speaking it over you again, there's an occasion for everything. There's a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill. Uh, there's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to build. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. There's a time to throw stones. There's a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to avoid embracing. There's a time to, to um, you know, count uh, as lost. There's a time to search. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. There's a time uh, for war and there's a time of peace. What time is it? In light of Ecclesiastes 3, with some needed endings in the room, let me ask you these questions on the screen. Are there circumstances, member, relationship, job, place, where you are attempting to give birth to something that should be dying? Where you are, or heal something that should be killed off? Or you're laughing at something that you should be mourning? Or embracing something or someone you should shun. Or searching for an answer for something when it is time to give up. Or continuing to try to love someone or something when it is time to talk about what you hate. Man, end it.
and cut it off. And if you do it early, by the way, it's like the difference. If you do it early, it's kind of like the difference between teeth cleaning and root canal. I mean, what kind of ending do you want? You saw a man. I know Dan Patrick's rich and famous, blah, blah, blah. You know, gets paid a lot of money to talk about sports. Come on, I miss my calling. Like, so, he, you know, his lifestyle is not necessarily, I know it ain't mine. I don't know about your lifestyle, but it ain't my lifestyle. But still, there's a choice to be made. And to make that choice between those incompatible wishes, what do you need to do? What relationship do you need to choose? What needs to end? What about place? Are you being disobedient? Look, Nick Crawford and Kristen will be moving uh, at the end of next month. We're going to have a celebratory love bucket to be full. We're going to praise them and actually praise Jesus, but we'll compliment them. And Kristen said to me this week, I mean, I'm not ready for it. And here's what I want to say. Uh, there's a man named Jeff Henderson who talks about transition. So I'm going to preach to them. Y'all just listen in. Jeff Henderson talks about some principles of leaving. If you're going to exit, he says this. When a leader finishes well, this is the embodiment of Nick Crawford. The team is positioned well for life without you. You ever seen somebody leave and they hadn't left well? This organization is built around a mission and not a person. It's bigger than one person. It's bigger than me. The mission isn't distracted by controversy. The systems you built carry on without you and momentum is sustained. There is a way to lead that honors God and brings life. And we're getting to witness that with our friends, Nick and Chris. Isn't that a good thing? Like it's so needed. And I have seen so many that go the opposite. Where it's toxic and poisonous and controversial. And sometimes people leave, sometimes people leave church staff and they think, oh, they don't have me. They're going to go under. And they almost wish that. And you see the opposite. In a healthy transition. Uh, from me, let me give you a few points that I would encourage everybody in good endings. The better you finish your current season, the better you begin your next season. You take you with you. So don't think that situationally you could end badly and then you just go somewhere and then magically it's all new and shiny and different. No, no, no. You take you with you and so end well and you will bring that into your next season. When we hire someone, we ask, hey, tell us about the ending. And then we call them and say, tell us about the ending because it says a lot about you. Number two, I'll give you today is finishing well requires a game plan. If y'all see me struggling, it's when I turn this way, the mic kind of fades. So I'm gonna turn this way. Finishing well requires a game plan for emotional health. When we moved... 19 years ago, it was a big deal in our lives. And Susan knew I was a sensitive leader. She knew I was sentimental. She knew I loved to go, but she knew I embraced people wherever I've lived. And, and she said, what's holding us back? What's holding us back? By us, she meant you. Like we'd already made this decision. We'd almost signed the contract to come work at a church and here. We said, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? And it was emotional. And I said, babe, you don't understand. This family, this tribe, these connections around the country, the job that I've had, it's meant a lot to me. And it's going to be hard. And we had two little kids, and I didn't want them to hear me, but I had to go to the next room. And you, you know, you ever cry like I cry, so, but I, I was wailing out loud. And you know, here's what I want to say. Whoever's going through this right now, if you're in a liminal space, or you've made the decision to go, or you need to, you're in a time of transition, it is emotionally difficult. It's hard to make a move. When God's calling you somewhere, it is very difficult. A friend of mine, when he made a transition a few years ago, he's got a job a lot like mine with some more added responsibilities. He said, I hired uh, an emotional health coach. Did you know those existed? I bet they didn't five years ago, but don't laugh. I may leave the ministry and become an emotional health coach. But to, to walk with someone, put those back up if you would, guys, but to walk with them, Aaron, that listen, because it's transitions, endings are so painful. They don't have to be as painful as we make them sometimes, 
But listen, if you're making a change or you're about to, or you will one day, remember this sermon that you heard on January 9th, 2022. Make sure someone knows what's going on inside of you. Number three, don't burn bridges. Just don't. And number four, express gratitude. One of the things I love about Nick Lauren and the team as y'all make your way up, we'll start getting into music and a close real shortly. Um, but one of the things I love about Nick is he expresses gratitude. I think when we pay tribute to him, weeks from now, um, there's many of you. I know our staff get notes from him. I got a note from Nick last week. He said a bunch of great things about me. So if you hear him disparaging my name, I'll just show you this note and we'll call him a hypocrite. All right? Because there's, yeah. But no, Nick, Nick's got, if I had as good a handwriting as Nick, I would, I'd write thank you notes too, like he does. But just to express gratitude is a good and it's a healthy thing. Because if God is calling you somewhere else, even with periods of stuckness in your life, express gratitude and end it well. Will you stand with me? Let me pray over you. Father, in this room and even at home, there are people uh, who need to end something. A job, a relationship, they need to move to another place. Something needs to be pruned out, an activity, a person owning something that needs to be sold or given away or liquidated. Work, family, life is in a terrible imbalance. Friendships are suffering as they take on too much. Lord, I pray for the person who's just in sheer disobedience. Who knows the voice of God is saying go, but they're, they're not, you're not spelling it out to them. And so they're just stuck and unwilling. And I, so I pray against that. And I pray for us, for new spirits, new minds, a new song in our hearts. That we would live more and more like a people that are going to be a part of a new heaven and a new earth. And that you would give us newness. That we would walk in newness of life. And you would use us, Fondren Church, when we're here gathered and when we're dispersed out. You would use us to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. So God, work changes in us. For those who have been hurt by a bad ending, an ending they did not choose, a divorce, or they were on the other end of this, I pray you administer grace to them. Bless us, God, in our moment of need, and thank you for this act of worship that we can sing and lift our voices together, and that we can be reminded as, as plates are passed, that you are Jehovah Jireh, you are God who provides. Lord, we are a people where every gift is needed and everyone needs to give. You call us to be like you. Jesus, we pray. Amen.